Welcome to the OA Light a Candle Meeting Podcast. Visit our website at www.oalaig.org where you'll find three separate speaker feeds with over 200 speaker files, forms for ordering these CDs, and a place to order don- a place to donate in order to keep this special service active. I would now like to introduce our speaker for tonight, Colleen. Hi, my name is Colleen. I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Colleen. And uh, thank you very much, Mickey, for asking me to come and be of service. It's really an honor to be here um, and uh, to see such friendly faces. Um, to qualify, um, and I'll pass my pictures around. Um, I've been abstinent since uh, August 4th of 2002, so I'm coming up on nine years of abstinence. My top weight when I came into these rooms that I know was 307 pounds, so I'm maintaining about 160-pound weight loss as a result of these 12 steps, and uh, I'm truly, truly grateful. Um, one of the things that um, those of you who have heard me speak for have seen this, um, my sponsor that I worked with for many, many years had told me um, that uh, if I was ever to keep an old piece of my clothing. So I, can't, I have my uh, size 24 jeans. But, um, yeah, I found out I can actually fit two legs into one. It's pretty wow. scary, yeah. <laughs> but she told me that basically those were waiting for me if I was ever too tired to work my program. And, uh, of course, the irony is that um, I wasn't, these were really tight. I wasn't actually fitting into them, but I wouldn't go out and buy a size 26 because I didn't want to admit uh, that I was at size 26. And what I've learned in this program is I have to admit all kinds of things that I don't want to admit, but they are always my key to freedom. Um, so just to kind of give you an idea of, of what it was like, I'm, I know we all know what it was like, um, but basically for me, um, I was in so much pain that I didn't know I was in so much pain. I'd spent so many years dragging out with food that I had just become so disconnected that I wasn't even in touch with the fact of what I was doing with the food. In fact, when I first came in, I didn't come in looking for some sort of diet. I didn't come in hoping that I was going to lose weight or anything like that. Um, I just came in because I was really uncomfortable in my skin. I just couldn't handle being in the body that I was in. And um, I didn't know what to do to stop. And the thought of not eating the way I was eating didn't even occur to me. Um, Because food for me is a drug. So it was not something that I was having too much of. In my view, there's probably not enough, you know. Um, In fact, in my view as an addict in general, there's never enough. (laughs) Money, love, food, whatever. Um, And, you know, that is my, my discontent. You know, and it's my experience that, um, you know, I have this sort of God-sized hole and I tried to fill it with food. And the trick is, is that it worked for a really long time until it didn't work anymore. And then it was like, oh, excuse my language, shit, what do I do now? You know, I was just like really uncomfortable and I didn't know where to go. And uh, someone recommended to me this program. And I came in and I looked at the steps and I was like, huh. That's kind of funny. There's this God thing and all these steps. And I was someone who had a, a faith that I practiced. So it wasn't that this God concept was foreign to me. It was just this notion of like, what do you mean? What does God have to do with my food? You know, as far as I was concerned, the God that I had 
was, you know, much bigger and really had a lot more on his or her plate to deal with. And what was on my plate was not on their agenda, you know. Like, there were starving children in Africa. There was still not world peace. So clearly, what is the God need to work on had nothing to do with what went into my mouth every day, you know. And what I've come to understand is that same God that created every piece of me wants to have a part in every piece of my life. What goes on my plate, the thoughts that enter my mind, the people that I interact with, how I treat other people, how I think of myself, how I think of others, how I you know, embrace the world every day. God wants to be involved in all those pieces of it. And you know, the beauty of this program is that it can be whatever concept of God that you want. You know, and that is very freeing um, because I know for me I can often twist that notion into something else as well. So, um, like I said, when I came in, I was really just in a lot of pain, and um, and really, to be honest with you, it really wasn't until a couple years in, a couple years absent, that I really got how much pain I was in. That's how drugged I was. Like I was so checked out that like it took a couple years of abstinence for all the stuff to get out of my system for me to be like oh, wow, and become really present to how much pain I was in. And then I was really screwed because I couldn't eat over it anymore, you know. And then I was like, oh, my God, what do I do now, you know. And and that's just it. Well, that's where the steps come in. That's where the sponsor comes in. That's where the program comes in. That's where all the things that I never wanted to do come in. And, um, you know, I'm really, really grateful to this program on so many levels because it has given me a life that I actually want to live today. Because what I understand as I look back on it, and this is just my understanding today and tomorrow could be completely different, (laughs) but I was just trying to kill myself really, really slowly. That's really what it amounts to. You know, I was too chicken to do it in a really bold way, you know, and I had just gotten to the point where I thought, well, maybe this is just as good as it gets. You know, and that's a really sad place to be, because then I'm just kind of going through the motions, you know, and I just thought, well, you know, maybe something will, something will fall out of the sky, maybe something will happen, you know, and it wasn't a bad life, that's the thing, it wasn't horrible, it was just kind of, you know, just sort of there, and um, there was a joy that was missing in my heart, and there was a sense of peace missing in my heart, and those are pieces that I've gotten back now, because I think for me, I just sort of disconnected from them. And I started at a very early age. I don't remember my very first compulsive bite. I do remember certain effects of food um, when I was a kid. I'm originally from Long Island, New York, and there was this Carvel, which is an ice cream place. Um, you guys are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> at the end of the block, and I remember, like, when we'd go down there or whatever, and they'd roll the um, ice cream in the jimmies, which are chocolate sprinkles, for those of you who don't know. And I remember licking that and be like, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, like, and, and there was something for me. So, you know, um, sugar is definitely one of those alcoholic foods for me, and that's something that I don't partake in today. But I tell you, the mind is a really funny thing, because this last week I've been, you know, going through a lot of stuff and and feeling a lot of things, and feelings and food seem to go hand in hand for me, and I had this memory all of a sudden of this particular food item, and just thinking about it, I swear to God I could taste it. I was like, this is how, like, my mind is wired. Like, I have a lot of feelings or angst or something. I start thinking about food because it's much easier to, like, obsess about that than to actually be present to what I'm feeling. And and what I've learned to do one day at a time is embrace that. Because for me, my experience very early on was that my feelings didn't match my environment. 
I was feeling uncomfortable, unsafe, and nobody around me seemed to mirror that. So I just thought, well, there must be something wrong with me. And that began my story of there's something wrong with me, you know. It's my fault. There's something wrong with me. And it became this sort of story that I repeated over and over in my life. And so what I learned to do was sort of turn off those feelings. And what I've learned is that feelings are just indications. They're not good or bad. They're not right. Or, they're just indications. Well, see, that's a problem when you turn off the indications because then you can't react normally to life. So no wonder by the time I got in here, things were just kind of sort of flatlined. And I know as an addict in recovery, even my MO is just to kind of be flatlined. Like, let's get this done. Let's get it over with so I can just sort of, you know, be like this. And what I realized is the person who's like, this is dead. You know, when you're in the hospital and it goes like this, they call time of death, right? <laughs> so, again, that, that's sort of where my thinking goes. And, um, you know, I don't know why I have this disease. You know, I could try and figure that out. And I've learned that understanding why is the booby prize. You know, like, it doesn't get me anywhere. It talks about that in the big book. It says, self-knowledge avails us nothing. So I can know all kinds of, like, I knew on some level the way I was eating was destroying my, my body, but did that make it stop? No. You know? And for me, I need this, the steps and I need this program because just having that relationship with God was not enough either. You know? Because I had a fabulous spiritual life, but I was eating. So how really spiritually connected was I? Because for me, I'm an addict with food, so those can't, those don't work together, you know. And, you know, it's sort of a, tr- a tricky thing sometimes, I think, because we're surrounded by people who, you know, once in a while they indulge in food, it's not a big deal, you know, or, I mean, my God, I can't even tell you, I was just at, at this gathering of women, and it was this diet, and I'm like, ugh, you know, and it's like a constant conversation in the society we live in. It's like you get bras by people who try and deal with this, and some deal with it very successfully because they're not addicts, you know. And one of the things that, for me, when I came into this program, it talks about in Chapter 3 that we have to concede to our innermost selves that we're compulsive overeaters. I really had to get that. And the idea that someday I might be able to eat like a normal person has to be smashed. And for me, I really like how that's described, because if you've ever seen a vase that gets smashed, you ever try to piece it back together, no matter how good the glue is, there's going to be water coming. Like, it's not going back together, you know? And at first, that seems sort of devastating on some levels. But what I've gotten is that because that's true for me, that's my ticket to freedom. Because the minute I start pretending like it's something else, or I can do this, or I can, ha- I got it, I got it. I can handle this without God's help, then I'm in trouble, you know. And I, I need to connect with you people. And I don't always like connecting with you people because, you know, you're very unstable. <laughs> you know? Like, you have feelings and ideas and they don't match the script in my head. And what do you mean? Why are you reacting that way? That's not what was supposed to happen. And, and oh, by the way, despite my lifetime effort of trying to twist myself into a pretzel to be what I thought you wanted me to be, that doesn't work either, you know. So now I'm really out of luck. And, it, you know, it reminds me, there's this story in, in one of the um, stories in the a, the big book um, where the sponsor was going on and on because he's like, I don't know who I am anymore. So the sponsor says, I'm good. You can be exactly who God wants you to be. You know? And it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. Like, that's what this is about, you know. And uh, one of the things, it's interesting, I was working with a sponsor. We were talking on the phone the other morning. And... 
you know, it talks about on page 25, it says, there's a solution. And then it says, I love this, almost none of us like the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for a successful consummation. Oh, good. So at least I'm in good company if I don't like this. You know, because my sponsor would be like, I don't want to do it. I'm like, mm-hmm, I got you. I don't want to do it either. You know? And it talks about that in the 12 and 12 as well. That, like, who, why do we want to do this? You know? But if it's going to be successful, these are the things that I have to do. And I can kick and scream and put up a fight, but all I'm doing is delaying my own happiness. All I'm doing is, is extending my misery, you know? Because all I have to do is take one look at one of those pictures and go, that's right, yeah, that was my idea. That was my way of handling things. And don't get me wrong, I'm actually really grateful for the food. Because for me, I know that if the food hadn't been there, it would have been something else. Because I'm overly sensitive and all those great things that we are. And I needed something, you know. And that's just what it happened to be. And at three years old, getting into the liquor, the liquor cabinet, you know, or waiting for the heroin drug dealer around the corner was not going to be happening. So, you know, the sugar worked. And, um, and I'm grateful that it did. Um, it also is a very unique position that I find myself in. Because literally, every time I sit down to a meal... Uh, I'm very acutely aware of what my spiritual life is like, you know, how spiritually connected I am based on how I'm eating, what I'm eating, what I'm thinking about, where my focus is, you know, and that happens, you know, three times a day. So, you know, it's something where I definitely have to stay connected to God all the time. And um, so, you know, when I came in, I know I'd done, um, I hadn't done a lot of dieting. Um, I pretty much had resigned myself that I was going to be a fat person for my life. And and there were a lot of really neat things that came along with that. Like, I totally got the whole feeling discriminated against, so I had empathy for people, and I knew what it was like to feel on the outside. And, you know, that gave me a great deal of compassion. Um, And I'm grateful for that. But I just couldn't buy into it, you know. And I remember I even bought a a book called Living Large and Loving It. And I was not loving it, you know. But I tried, like I really tried. And my belief is that because that's not how I'm supposed to live my life. Like that was my best thinking. Like that was the best I could do. And it took coming into these rooms and it took connecting with another compulsive overeater and actually showing up and sharing stuff. Things, And I'm notorious for getting up in a meeting and being like, okay, I don't really want to talk about this. And don't ask me about it after the meeting, and then just letting it out and, and letting it go. And I don't know any other place that does that. I really don't. It's such a gift. It's such an awesome gift of an opportunity to be authentic, you know. And, I mean, <laughs> I think I've wanted something like that my whole life. You know, a place where I could just be really honest and be like, you know what, this is what's going on and it sucks, but I know I'm going to get through it. Because we don't stay there, right? We don't stay in the problem. We move into the solution. You know, how can we move forward in life? And and that's really what it's about. And uh, so, you know, like I said, when I came in, um, I was pretty done. You know, I didn't, there wasn't a lot of fight that I had left for me. And uh, I connected with the sponsor, and she helped me establish an abstinence. My abstinence is three meals a day, two snacks if necessary. A snack for me is a piece of fruit or a cup of fruit. Um, and for me, that's very specific, because that way I know if something's going in my mouth and it's not a fruit, it better be my meal, you know. And I'm not going to waste it on that nut. <laughs> um, 
So, you know, that, that's been my absence. And then over time I've added specific foods, specific alcoholic foods. And for me, um, because I know I'm, everyone's absence is different, for me my absence has to have those two parts. It has to have that I'm not eating in between meals. Um, and it needs to have that there are certain alcoholic foods that I know I'm allergic to that I'm not partaking in. Because, you know, I can still eat three meals, but if I'm eating sugar and all those meals, I'm spinning and I'm creating chaos. And um, so that was a huge gift. And she was very kind and she was very sweet. And she said, call me, you know, you know, if you need anything. So I never called her because <laughs> I didn't want to bother her. <laughs> Because, you know, I was a bother, don't you know? Like, I didn't want to bother anybody. Actually, growing up in my life, it didn't catch my attention until somebody pointed out to me once. I used to say, I'm sorry for everything, because I thought it was my fault. Like, whatever it was. And I remember somebody looked at me and goes, you're sorry that you're out of that? You know, I worked at a restaurant or something, and I was like, oh, I mean, no, we no longer have that. Like, it just didn't occur to me the way that I was using that phrase. And, you know, so... As I came in, and like I said, I, I didn't call her very much. So after about four months, I was sitting in a meeting, and I was very uncomfortable. And this woman who was speaking, like, she looked at me, and she pointed, and she went, Sweetheart, you're trying to do it by yourself. And I was like, Oh, my God, she's right, you know. She scared me. I was like, Ah! Later on, she became my sponsor, of course. But um, she connected me with another woman, and um, that woman had me call her every morning. And I tell you, there's something about the gift that somebody who at 6.15 in the morning picks up the phone and for 15 minutes wants to hear what's going on in your life. I don't know anybody else who'd done that for me before, you know. And she really was um, such a gift to me. And she was the one who suggested I might have an issue with sugar. Um, and so, you know, in the beginning, though, in that first year, it was really like three binges a day. You know, but I wasn't eating in between those meals, and that's when I had to use the tools. I had to write. I did a lot of writing. I still do a lot of writing. It was really hard for me to pick up the phone in the beginning. I didn't know. I wasn't comfortable calling people, and I didn't want to bother them, right? So, um, but after about a year of abstinence, um, I let go of some weight when I stopped eating sugar, and I was sitting in a meeting, and I was thinking, like, what is this? This program is Overeaters Anonymous. I'm still 100 pounds plus overweight. Like, Either I'm doing this or I'm not doing this, you know. And I was like, I need to get the weight off. Like, I can't I can't muck around with this. And so I got a new sponsor, and she had me up my program, and I had to start doing things like planning out my food. I didn't want to do that. I had to get on the scale once a week. I didn't want to do that. I'd, well, I'd call her every morning. I could do that. She had me go to more meetings. Um, I had to make sure I did prayer and meditation every day. And she said to me, whatever form it takes doesn't matter. You just need to set aside time every morning. And that's a practice that has grown for me. You know, it talks about in Bill's story that we have to perfect and enlarge our spiritual life if we expect to survive the trouble spots ahead. And that, for me, is so much of what it's about today, that it's about growing in my relationship with my higher power, with God, as I call it. Um, because... If that doesn't get bigger, then the food's going to need to get bigger. I mean, really, quite simply, that's just about how it works, you know. And when my food starts to seem like it's, it's looking bigger, you know, then I know that my spiritual life has gotten smaller, and so I need to step it up, you know. And for me, as I, as I walked through the steps, I really just had to trust that this woman who um, had 
lost over 100 pounds and kept it off, I think at the time, for like 16 years, that she must have some idea of what she's doing because she had done better than I had, you know. But I also connected with her because she knew where I came from. She understood that. You know, that's the other gift that we have to give each other is that we know exactly where we come from and we can relate to each other in that way that nobody else can, you know. And it's it's such a miracle, like, that when I talk in a meeting, I share about something, and you all go, oh, yeah, I get it, you know. It's so nice to know that I'm not alone, and my whole life I thought I was alone. And, you know, so as I began to work the steps, she just kept, like, literally, she would, um, how she describe it, but I always imagined that she'd always be like, where's God, Colleen? Like, she'd constantly ask me, where's God? Where's God? Where's God? And I finally got sick of the question. So I started to answer that before she'd ask it, you know. She also taught me a really good tool where she would say things like, what do you not want to talk about? And I was like, oh. And so now the sponsor of now, I'll be like, oh, and by the way, what I don't want to tell you. And she's like, good, you know. So it got me to talk about this stuff because I can be really good at, like, let's hide things. That was a lot of my eating that I would do when I was younger. And I lived at home. This trick I learned from this gal when I was, like, in grade school. We were visiting at a friend's house, and um, she brought it. We were hanging out in her bedroom. She opens up her closet, and she had these bags of chips in her closet. And I was like, that's such a good idea. Buy the food and hide it in the bedroom. Why didn't I think of that? I'm so glad that she introduced that to me. And then when I got my driver's license, what do you think I did? I went out, bought food, brought it home. So one of my routines that I would do when I was in college was I would... My parents' bedroom was across the hall from mine, so they would go to sleep. And I would go down to my room really quietly and pull whatever it was, you know. I'm sure you can just put together some alcohol foods. And then I'd go down to the kitchen, I'd mix it up, and I'd sort of hide it. Because in case they randomly woke up, you know, like like I was hiding anything, really. Like the weight just kept coming on. Like it really, I was fooling everyone. Like the dark shirts that I would not tuck in because then you would know I, you know, you wouldn't know I was fat. Like... Insanity. I mean, I actually had this thing where I couldn't understand why every time I took a picture, it seemed like my head was like this, you know, or that I was doing like this to create three chins. No, I wasn't doing anything. I had three chins. That's the thing. Like, but I was so out of touch, people. Like, I didn't get it, you know. I just, I literally remember one point looking down going, when did this extra stomach come out? Like, I didn't, I don't have a master's degree. I'm not, you know, a stupid person, but I just didn't connect the dots. Like, I didn't get that what I was doing with food was causing what was happening with my body. Because I couldn't. Like, food is my drug. Like, you know, I could have shot it up. I would have. It would have been a lot faster, you know. So, anyways, um... That was the thing, and then I'd sort of drone out in front of the TV and pass out and then get up and go to bed or whatever, and that was a lot of how I lived my life, you know. And then when I finally got out on my own, I just sort of continued it. Um, you know, it was the only way I knew how to live. Like, my idea at the end, I used to be a teacher, at the end of a long week, oh, right, you know, I would, like, order the pizza and sit there, half the pizza, half a package of cookie dough. Somebody laughed at me. They go, oh, you know, the whole thing. I was like, come on, I need something in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> morning. Morning, by the way, it was like 12 o'clock. You know, I mean, God forbid I get up before, like, you know, noon on Saturday. Anyways, um, like, that was my idea of, like, a well-done week, you know. Not, like, spending time with people and not going out. I mean, I did that, too, but, you know, given the option, hmm, that's a hard one. So... You know, what I get from working this program is I get to actually want to be around people and live life. And I um, 
I want to participate, and I want to take risks. I never wanted to do that. Like, I was so afraid of messing everything up, you know, because don't you know it's my fault? Like, these ridiculous stories that I told myself based on circumstances, and I know you're all familiar with them because you have your own, and some of them are, are very much the same, but they're based on things that were perhaps applicable in the moment, and for some reason, it's like I glommed onto it, and I carried it with me, you know? No wonder I was carrying so much weight on me. It's like there's a an A um, daily reader uh, called 24 Hours a Day, and on January 2nd it has this reading about uh, that we're given from our higher power 24 hours to deal with. And when we try and carry the weight of yesterday or of tomorrow, it's too much. And I remember reading that going, wow, that's exactly it. That's exactly what I was doing. I was carrying the weight of yesterday and of what might come tomorrow. And no wonder I couldn't deal with today, you know. But I believe that each day that I wake up, not only am I grateful for an opportunity to be abstinent and to be of service, which is the first thing that I say to myself, um, then I have everything that I need. And it's, I get anxious and I get fearful and I get afraid when I start thinking about well, what's going to happen next week and what, you know, what about this and what, what does this mean and, you know, and I start creating all kinds of stuff in my head and, you know, it really is about my thinking. But I didn't get to that until I put the food down because until I put the food down, I didn't even know what my thinking was. Like it was so like very like mushy up here, you know, it wasn't really clear. But until I put the food down, I'm not going to see that, you know. And so then what I do is that I, you know, it talks about, and we get to step six and seven about working with our defects of character. And I, I call them defenses of character because at some level, at some point in time, they worked and I needed them. But again, they've sort of outworn their use, you know. And even that, though, the level at which um, I use those things, I have to turn that over. You know, because it says in the seventh step prayer that we ask God to remove those defects of character which stand in the way of our usefulness to him and to our fellows. So that means that even for that day, I don't know which ones are actually getting in the way, which ones aren't. You know, but I'm, you know, it talks about that, that God will not, like, clean us like white as snow. You know, like, there's no perfection here. Like, I'm always looking for, like, when can we get this done? When is this over with? For what? For the next thing. You know, like, that's what I've gotten, you know, like, in, in these last nine years or whatever, it's like I get through one thing, and I'm like, something else comes up. Because it's called life, you know? Like, you're supposed to live and move and breathe and act and, you know, react and do all these things. Like, oh, okay. And there are times of discomfort, and there are times of comfort, and there's times of joy, and there's times of sadness, and times of rage. And, you know, and it's like, that's... Life is like this. And I was always so afraid of that because I didn't understand it. And I didn't, you know, I didn't have models of, like, how do you handle that? Nobody ever pulled me aside and said, it's okay that you're sad today. It was more like, what's the matter? <laughs> you know, it's like, oh, okay, something's the matter. You know, and then there goes that story again. It's my fault. Something's wrong with me, right? And my ego is so invested in that story. And it's like, when I stop, and that's what this program has given me, an opportunity to stop and breathe and reconnect with who I really am. And who I really am is not those stories. And who I really am is not who my huge ego has made it out to be. 
But who I am as a child of God, who I am as loved, who I am as pure and beautiful, because that's how I was created. I remember this story, I think it was one of those chicken soup with the soul books or whatever, it's a story of this little boy and uh, his you know, his parents, they have another, like a little kid or whatever, and they were very cautious about the letting the little toddler see the baby. So they decided, okay, to let him go in and, you know, the baby's in the crib or whatever. And they're like standing outside the door really carefully watching. And apparently, they, and I don't know if this is true, but the little kid walks up to the crib and he goes, so tell me what it's like. I've forgotten what God feels like. Aww. You know? And that so reminds me of like what this is. Like that's what these steps do. They remind me what it's like to be connected to God. And I need that. I need that because that's who I am. You know? I'm not pounds of fat. I'm not someone whose fault it is. I'm not someone who there's something wrong with. Who I am is something that's part of this whole thing. You know? But I need to stay connected with this power greater than me because my thinking is going to be very small. You know, it's really kind of ironic when I think about it. Like, I need to live in this really big body to live a really small life. It was re- and it was wrought with fear. And I'm not saying that, like, I float along like this because I don't. <laughs> you know? I mean, these are really crappy and I'm like, God, you suck. You know, like, what is this about? I don't understand. I'm confused. And sometimes I feel really connected, and other times I feel really disconnected. But I still show up. Like, the principles they teach us in these rooms about suiting up and showing up, they're simple little things. But you know what? Sometimes that's the most important thing I do that day. You know? And whether it's to smile at somebody, or to not cut somebody off, or whatever it may be, you know, it, it's usually in the simple things. Like, I always, like, my mind, I'm telling you, my ego's huge. Thank you. So it's always this, like, big grand idea of, like, what it's all going to be and how it's going to turn out. And it's, you know, like, something that's going to be on the big screen. Everything's going to be, like, plotting. And yeah. No, most of the time it's, like, really small stuff. You know, there was a woman, actually, um, who um, had made an outreach call. And she said, I just want to thank you for what you said at the meeting the other day. And okay, I have no idea what I said. You know, and I was probably going off about or complaining about something. Like, I don't get that. Like, you people are so funny. Like, you thank me when I share stuff about myself that I don't want to share. Like, what is that, you know? But it's it's miraculous, you know? And so, I feel like I'm all over the place. But anyway, <laughs> the... I guess what I I just would would say is that, you know, because when I think about it, and welcome to the newcomers, because you guys are the lifeblood of this program, and if there's anything I could say that there is hope. Like, I never in a million years thought that I would be living and breathing and moving and dealing with life at a healthy body weight. Like, I just assumed that it would be lots of food and I'd be really, really fat. And so to me, that, that shows me that this program works. And the other thing is is that um, it's amazing to me, the longer I'm abstinent, the more things that happen, that my thoughts don't even go to food. Like, I didn't even know that that was possible. Because actually, the, one of the first things that happened when I first came in was, because what I would do is, like I mentioned, I had sort of an interesting relationship with my own feelings. So I'd make them wrong, I'd push them down. And then, like, days later, I'd be eating. So I never, you know, people would, like, ask me, like, do you, do you eat over feelings? And I was like... That would require knowing that I had feelings. That would require, like, being in touch with them, okay? 
that was one of the first things that happened when I got absent was all of a sudden I felt something and I went, I'm hungry, you know. And um, I always think it's funny. I've often said that, like, when I'm standing around, like, I have a plan for my food, so when I don't have a plan, if I ever find myself going, what do I feel like eating? I'm screwed because I'm feeling, and that's a problem. I mean, feeling isn't the problem, but feeling about food is a problem because I'm the kind of person, I don't know if anybody can relate, like, I'll finish my meal and be like, okay, I can have six more of those. Or I'll, I'll feel hungry. Obviously, I'm not physically hungry. I just ate. <laughs> but, you know, oh, and that's the other one, too, I love. I learned, you know how they have those charts with the faces, you know, and they have the different feelings on them? Hunger's not on there. <laughs> I did not know there was odd. People ask how you feel hungry. <laughs> I mean, like, hungry and fine, right? Fucked up, insecure, neurotic, and eating. Right, so <laughs> this is being recorded. <laughs> okay, so... <laughs> The point is, is that, like, there are all these, like, things. And I remember, too, in the beginning, my sponsor would be like, how do you feel? And I was always, like, racking my brain. Um, I don't know. And she'd be like, well, are you comfortable or uncomfortable? Okay, I can start with that, you know. And on some level, it's like when I really started my eating, my eating probably kicked in big time when I was around puberty, um, which was early for me, so, like, eight or nine years old. And, um... I, you know, it's like I fell asleep on some level, and then I woke up when I got absent. So it's a little bit kind of, you know, like you fall into a coma, and then you wake up, and all of a sudden you're in this 30-year-old body, and you're an adult, and you're dealing with all these responsibilities and all this stuff, and it's like, whoa, you know, huge adjustment process. And so I had to be really, really gentle and kind with myself in my first few years of recovery. I still have to do that because I can be really hard on myself, but, you know, like, I had to learn to readjust to life, because my way of dealing with life was, like, to power through, you know, and then be like, oh, my life is so hard, you know, like, I was a little dramatic, I'm still a little dramatic sometimes, but apparently I was very dramatic as a child, I was, my mother used to say I was, like, Sarah Bernhardt, some sort of, like, black and white um, film actress who was very dramatic or something, but it was not a good thing, so, anyways, but... You know, so it's just, it's like, I don't get a free pass, you know. I, I was always looking for the free pass, like, how do I, what's the easy ticket, you know, easy ride. Um, but ironically, I don't actually want the easy ride, because everything that I've walked through in abstinence, I mean, I've had jobs, I've not had jobs, I've been on unemployment, um, I've been speaking to my family, I've not been speaking to my family, I've been reconciled with my family, I've not been reconciled with my family, I've had boyfriends, I've not had boyfriends, I mean, you run the gamut, the car broke down, the car is working, like, everything, you know, I paid the bill, I didn't pay the bill, like, I mean, you know, little stuff, and big stuff, and I've done it all absolutely, and that is absolutely miraculous to me, and, you know, one of the things that I learned, because I used to have people um, say to me when I was concerned, they'd be like, what are you angry about? And I was like, I'm not angry, I'm just focusing on something. But you know what, I was full of anger. I just didn't, that was one of those emotions that was not permitted or not allowed or I never saw healthy expressions of. So I learned to push it down and, and I suffered from depression for years. And, um, and what I got is that um, I don't have that anymore, you know, because there isn't that sort of residual anger. But it was a painful process. In fact, I remember it was after the birthday party a couple of years back, um, I walked out onto the ocean, and I remember this experience of um, God standing behind me. And he said to me, you know, um, 
we need to let, let go of some of this. And I had this experience of, like, literally, like, God was sort of breaking open my chest. And he's like, there's a lot of darkness, and we need to let it out. And it's going to hurt really bad, but you're going to be okay. And I remember just staying there and crying. And over the next couple of years, there was a lot of that. Like, there was a lot of darkness that I had to let go of. Um, but because of that, I'm a lot lighter, you know, and there's a lot more love that I can let in. And and it's not perfect or anything. I had to learn to, to, to love from the spaces of my heart that are open to loving. You know, I had to um, change how I saw things. You know, it talks about in the big book that we had to let go of all our old ideas. Um, and the result was nil, and so we let go absolutely. You know, that surrender thing, let go, let go, let go. And I was holding on to life like this, you know, really, really hard. And that doesn't work so well. So I'm always having to, you know, and I, when I... In the meetings, I always, whenever we do our ending prayer or whatever, I always sit with my hands open like this to remind myself to let go. And I usually don't want to let go because it's that fear thing, you know, the termites that ceaselessly devour, right? Fear of something that I'm not going to get or fear of losing something that I've got. And I don't get to operate out of fear anymore. At least not for very long. <laughs> And that's a miracle, because I didn't know how to do that. You know, when I first got abstinent, there was a lot of anxiety and fear that I was feeling all the time, and I thought I was going to die, you know. But the pen became my friend, and I just learned how to write a lot, and eventually to share that with people. And I have to say that in everything that I've gone through, there isn't one thing that I haven't been able to find a solution for in these steps, and in this book, and in this program. And so that gives me hope that whatever else comes, I'll be able to face that too. Because it it tells me that I have to create this connection to something greater than me. And even that has to change. Like my whole understanding of God has changed. You know, the, the faith that I practiced when I came in, I still practice. But it's much bigger and much broader and much more beautiful. I have so much a greater appreciation for it. Um, Because I'm not just going through the motions anymore. And, you know, on some level I feel like this is all very trivial and stuff, that I do this and don't overdose on pizza and cookie dough. But that's actually a really big thing. It's a really big thing, you know, that I don't have to go through life and, you know, worry about whether there's not going to be enough food. Now, that doesn't mean I don't have my moments of worrying that there's not going to be enough food, right? Every time they have one of those scares about food, they got to, like, they, when they put the spinach thing in, that hilarious. Yeah, pizza and cookie dough woman was, like, freaked out a couple of years ago when they pulled the spinach arbitorium, whatever it was, you know, like, they, the, the E. coli, whatever that thing was, I can't tell you. But anyway, like, I was worried, oh, my God, I'm not getting my spinach, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, life has changed, so... But anyways, um, so I think I'm, I'm just going to wrap up with that. Um, I'm really, really grateful to you. I'm really grateful that you showed up today, that you actually sat and listened to me talk for such a long time, um, that you gave that you give me a place to come to where I can be authentically myself and I don't have to hide who I am, and uh, and that you always give me hope. Like whenever you guys get up and you share your stuff and you're you're willing to be vulnerable, it gives me the courage to be vulnerable and know that I'm going to be okay. And um, and that is what allows me to live um, in hope 
and in life each day at a time. So thank you for letting me share.